0: Hello and welcome back to Is This Seat Taken, the podcast celebrating people who have many places to call home. We discuss what home means to different people and how that impacts culture, identity and finding our community wherever we are in the world. Today's guest is Vasiliki Prestige. She runs an amazing business called Greek To Me Translations Vasiliki and I uh, got to know each other through work that we do with The Circle, which is a non-governmental organization supporting the world's most vulnerable women. So I knew I had to speak to her for the podcast. We talk about the challenges of being an interpreter and the, the humanity that comes with interpreting in some really unique and vulnerable situations for some of her clients um it's given me a whole new insight into the world of translation and interpreting and this episode really is a love letter to all of Vasiliki's homes in Cyprus and in Greece and in England so i really hope that you enjoy this episode
1: thank you so much for inviting me i think the podcast is really great and i love 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 the theme of it i think Identity is something we should definitely be talking more about. And it's something that is so unique to each and every one of us. And the way we perceive our own identity is so different to the way others see us and perceive Mm -hmm. us. So I think that's why it's so critical to open the floor to the people to talk about themselves and, and express how they see themselves. That's I think that's really useful. So thank you. So how did London happen? I mean, there is a long tradition in my family to have a mixed cultural cultural background, perhaps, um, particularly British, Cypriot, Greek mix. Mm. So I was born in Cyprus. My mum is from Cyprus. My dad is Greek from Greece. And in our family, we have a few different mixed couples. So I have—I had a cousin married to a British um, girl. My aunt is married to my uncle, who is British. And as I was growing up, I was exposed to the Englishness, in a way, <laughs> right? And I'm saying English because they are English. They're not Scottish. It was something I came much later to realize that you know there are differences there so be very (laughs) careful what you say (laughs) and I was very lucky to be very close to my aunt who is also my godmother so my parents a summer decided they want to send me to England and I was seven or eight years old and yeah they just put me on an airplane and I flew to was it London or maybe Bristol I, I'm not quite sure and um, I stayed with her family for the entire summer and it was incredible it was fascinating because first of all I was treated completely like an adult and hmm. um, I was exposed to very British things like the great British summer first of all you know <laughs> with a, insane weather turns and all these weather expressions and we had so many strawberries and cream and just <laughs> delicious food that I hadn't had before. Of course, coming from Greece and Cyprus, you know, our food is really Great if I can say so myself. Yeah. Musaka and fried um,
0: cheese, I would take over strawberries uh-huh, any day. <laughs>
1: uh-huh, uh-huh. Exactly. But there was something about driving through the English countryside on a wet day, having a cheese and pickle sandwich in a car park that <laughs> made me feel that I love this country. That something something spoke to me. And it was probably the fascination of a small child um to to what is different and new a new experience mm. and i've picked up words so many words and the accent and my uncle's father was visiting and we had them over for dinner and they his wife uh, was a teacher of french and i was learning french at school at that point as well mm-hmm. and we were discussing in sort of various languages and throwing a few words here and there and he said to my uncle, um, you know, you've got quite, quite a little linguist here. I think <laughs> that's what she's going to be. And I don't know if that's, you know, what he said stuck with me and that's why I became who I became or if it was because of someone recognising an aptitude at an early point and then I was guided through this sort of journey in my life. So to, to end a very long story, I went back to Greece at the end of the summer and I could not stop talking about England and how amazing <laughs> it is. And I've I was just in love and I, I carried out the same passion for English, for languages, for French, for being in England, for living in England, um throughout my teenage years and then i got into university and i did my first degree in english language and linguistics and it was all in english it was a degree in english with the language of instruction in english even though the university was a greek university it was an english speaking course entirely so for four years i was thinking speaking writing in english and at the end of my um BA degree I had to pick a specialization and I think I was you know platonically in love with a professor of translation and because <laughs> I found him so inspirational and he motivated me so much with his passion for what he did I then thought this is what I want this is what I like that's what I'm going to do next mm. and of course when you study translation if you want to study translation and interpreting you do it with two languages because you have to practice so my languages being english greek french or rather greek english french to put it in an abc order mm-hmm. um it had to be either in greece or in france or an english speaking country because it would be really bizarre to do a BA in or an MA in Translation and Interpreting involving English and Greek in Germany, right? Sure. And it's often advised that you do your MA in in the country where your B language is spoken so that you can get mm-hmm. as much practice as possible. So it was pretty obvious and... I didn't need much thinking. I anyway wanted to come to England. So I just went on a plane, moved and started my master's degree. And it was at the University of Surrey and it Mm. was in business translation and interpreting. It was a wonderful one year experience. And it, it, it was so useful. I mean, they threw so much at us, but the main, um, The key for me from that degree was that they really uh, tried to expose us to as much career opportunities and experience we could get. Mm -hmm. So to kind of open our mind as to what we could be doing after. And um, I started getting work while I was still writing my thesis. So... I never got to the point where I finished my master's and then thought, so what next? Mm. My working life integrated very seamlessly in a way while I was still studying. So then I just submitted my thesis, I graduated and I already had some work and I was already here. So it never really felt like a big question that, do I leave? Do I go back? Do I stay? What do I do? Because it happens so organically. Mm. And I didn't want to stay in Surrey. I mean, Surrey is quite close to London, but it's not London. And, and
0: It's I, my I, hometown, I know. <laughs> is it? Yeah, which yeah, one is your home hometown? My home county. Rygate. So a bit, a bit further. I think Surrey, the University of Surrey is in Guildford, isn't it? Yeah. So we're about 20 minutes yeah. away. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Even though it was beautiful, oh my goodness! All the deers were amazing, and so I felt so close to nature. You know, you'd you'd be having breakfast and looking out the window. Oh,
0: there is a deer. Oh, there is
1: another one. There is a stag uh, in the snow. Particularly, they were just stunning. Nature is stunning.
0: Yeah, that's a very um, English thing as well. I can't imagine anything more English mm -hmm. than eating a cheese and pickle sandwich in a car park in Guildford being watched by a deer. That's basically, you know, that's everything. That's all there is to see here.
1: (laughs) Exactly. It's so amazing
0: that you can trace your kind of progress and your movement back to that trip when you were seven or eight years old. And how insightful of your uncle to pick up on the fact that you loved language. Like, what What a lovely story to be able to trace that all the way through. And, and actually for that process to almost seem really like destiny for you. You know, like you met the people and you came to the places that you needed to come to in order to end up where you are. I think there is true...
1: Um meaning and and i feel grateful for that because i don't think many people can say that i don't think many people can do this kind of tracing and also feel that yes this is what i want and knowing what you want to do from such an early age and also achieve it i think it's i feel hugely grateful for that um because it's it's not common
0: Mm. No, I think you're right. I think there there are people that still feel very lost, particularly after coming out of university. You know, it sounds like that course was very supportive and very kind of industry led, which is not necessarily the norm.
1: It was indeed exactly like you said. Yeah.
0: Mm. And what, clearly you have a kind of history with language and your love of language. What is it that you love about working in language. What has it enabled you to do?
1: Everything you know i sometimes I do stop and ask myself that question, and if I was to remove the language element from my life, I just wouldn't know who I am or what I am. <laughs> um, because that's all I am um. I I think anyone can say that, but perhaps somebody who is a linguist or loves languages, but is also a scientist or, or, or a doctor or you know, has another discipline going on mm-hmm. for them. It's, it's a bit different for them. But for me, words are everything, you know, the way I think, the way I feel, the way I express myself, everything, even my thoughts are in words. Sometimes. I have dreams that are bilingual. So uh, I will, <laughs> I know. So I am having a dream and it's like watching a movie because whatever I'm dreaming, the people are speaking in Greek and I'm, I'm seeing subtitles underneath in a different language. And that's that's amazing. not <laughs> I know. I know sometimes this happens if I've had a subtitling project. So it's been an intense working day, but it happens aside from what I've been working on during the day as well. But I think, you know, thinking of language and why is it so core to my personality and myself is because um, through my work and through what I do on a daily basis, it makes me constantly question absolutely everything Because when you are translating something in a written form, you are not simply reading. You have to read what the text says and then you have to understand it 100% so that you can be sure that you are transferring that meaning across the right way. But then to understand it 100%, sometimes, and I mean, in fact, most of the times, you have to stop and ask questions. You have to really ask, but what does it really mean? But what does the word really mean here? Does it mean this? Or does it mean that? Or is it perhaps something else? Or is that a mistake? Did they really meant to say this? Or did they mean something else? Or when you are then translating, you're, you're producing content, you're producing language. So you're constantly asking yourself, Am I spelling this right? Am I not spelling this right? Is this the right word? Is, this, is there a different word I should be using? Is this the right order that we say things? Is this, what does this really mean? So all this questioning creates a huge opportunity for research. And you're constantly learning things. It's, think about it this way. you know, People say you need to read and people who read X amount of books are whatever, successful, etc all I do is read every single day I read and write that's what translators do they read and write all day every day Mm. and sometimes the work is so fascinating and you can't really talk to anyone about what it is that you're working on and so it makes you feel a little bit like a spy in a way as well <laughs> and really depending on what it is that you're working on and then you know you read the news the next day, then there's a headline and you think oh I had something to do with this
0: but I can't ah. tell you something.
1: <laughs> so there are exciting parts of the job and um, that oh you know I mean interpreting is a whole different story and 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 it entails an entirely different skill set because there comes the social part. You know, when you're translating written work, you're at home or you're in an office, you're on your own, you have your time to research and look into words. When you're interpreting, especially live translation, so simultaneous or even consecutive, you have to think very quickly, you have to think on your feet, you have to be ready to figure out um, Solutions to problems. If you don't remember a word, if it doesn't come to you, if if the person you're next to is being difficult or they're being, you know, not so nice, what do you do? Because there is a big human element in interpreting, Mm. and half the job in interpreting is social skills, just and diplomacy, knowing how to phrase things because very often you are acting more like a buffer than, than an interpreter in a way.
0: Mm. So All to, these, to, yeah. sorry to cut in. Cause that's really interesting. I've never thought of that before. Do you, there must be a kind of line that you need to tread between essentially mediating a situation and obviously you having that obligation to be as accurate in your interpreting as possible have there been situations where you felt quite conflicted on that particularly as you say if people are being maybe hostile or a bit difficult where where is your main obligation is it in kind of being gentle with the person that you're speaking to or is accuracy more important
1: at very sort of strict codes of conduct for interpreters you will often find the phrase to interpret accurately and faithfully without adding or omitting anything Mm. so accuracy yes is extremely important and accuracy is and should be a given however at the end of the day we are there to ensure that a certain job is done. And that does not necessarily mean our job is done. What it means is that the job of the people who gathered there that day is done. It's about what they need to achieve. So there's been occasions where the, one of the speakers was using a certain word in Greek. That meant draft, so Mm -hmm. the draft of a design. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, the same word in Greek can also mean a plan, so a project plan or a program. So, two people speaking the same language, this is the same language, right? Not even going across different languages, using the same word, meaning different things. And now I am having to understand the context in which the word is used every time so that I can say either draft
0: or plan because presumably you could have a draft of a plan even more (laughs) complex and complicated (laughs) and insane
1: so I think what happened was they meant the same things but using different words So, even though I could understand what was going on, the English speaker was listening and understanding from me. But at some point, it became rather obvious that I had to explain to them, to the English speaker, as a matter of context and background, that this is what's happening. That when they're Mm. saying the same word, they mean one of them is using it in this way and the other one is using it in that way. So you do a little bit of a, you know, intervention, uh, Mm -hmm. a very short intervention where you say, I'm very sorry, I know I'm not here for this, but I think... I've picked up on this. I think you're using this word in that way and you're using it in this different way. And they're both very correct meanings because we have the same word, but it can mean several different things. And then you see the light bulbs, you know, going off in above their heads and the sparks in their eyes and like, ah, ah, (laughs) right. And it's moments like these that actually make them appreciate you being in the room. Mm. and they'll say, I think at the end of the day they'll say thank you very much for being there I don't think we could have done this without you we didn't understand this was going on so that's what they will remember they will not remember you sitting there going back and forth saying exactly what they said they will remember how you've solved the problem
0: mm. <laughs> that's so, yeah. yeah that's really interesting so it is there is that sense of mediating and kind of creative problem solving on the fly and those things that language throws up that only language can you know crazy uses of um what's the word I'm looking for where you'll you'll use a phrase that is means something totally different but it's cultural you know there's kind of cultural meanings rather than linguistic ones idioms
1: or phrases exactly um, yeah that are very unique and specific to one language yeah for example once I was working with um, uh, a very high up diplomat at the embassy and it was going he was going through a legal case and we had several different parties taking place um, and attending the meeting and and before everybody walked into the room he was so good he prepared the entire room and spread all the legal documents around everything that we were going to go through and we walk in and the first thing he says is listen to this i spread your documents like vulgar weed drawing under the greek sun he said that in greek right because (laughs) this is a thing we do in greece in the summer you will spread various grains and fruit and everything is drying under the sun so that it be preserved for the next year so first thing i had to interpret was this sentence so i say word for word exactly what he said and then the english people turned around and looked at my face and I looked at their face and they had this massive question marks and they were they were blank and I had to then add, This is a Greek tradition that takes place in the countryside during the summer months, and they're
0: like, ah it's like a history lesson for them. It must be so fascinating, kind of and, and I suppose this is this is when it starts to come back to identity again. It's like Are there points where, you know, if you're translating from Greek to English, do you feel more Greek in that moment or do you feel more English? And do you have kind of opportunities to celebrate those different parts of yourself in the process of interpreting?
1: I certainly, like you said, indeed, when I am going into English, feel more English because I have to because I have to work harder on the accent I have to work on the pronunciation I have to come across a certain way that will inspire trust to the listener who is possibly either an English person or at least an English speaking person right Mm -hmm. so the same happens when I'm going back into Greek and then you Throw in the Cypriot mix and that is when it really becomes interesting because if I'm interpreting for a person who is from Cyprus, so Greek-speaking Cypriot, they enjoy knowing and hearing that I also come from Cyprus. Mm. So because Cyprus has a dialect, a Greek dialect which does mean you have a different greek accent to athenian greek for example Mm -hmm. but there are also lexical differences somebody can pick up whether you are from cyprus however because i've lived both in cyprus and greece i'm able to switch it on and off Mm. so i can speak standard greek with the normal well let's not say normal because i don't like that word <laughs> uh, let's say standard greek accent and then i can switch on my Cypriot accent on my greek and some what i tend to do is i will know in advance if the person in the room or at least one of them is cypriot and what i will do is when we're starting i will have the Cypriot accent Quite a lot dialed down because I want to know the reaction. And most of the times, interestingly, they will say, Oh, but she's Greek, she's not Cypriot. And then I'll say, Oh no, but hang on.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Dial that right back up again. And then I
1: dial up the Cypriot accent. And then say, Oh, she understands. And it's more about them feeling that connection with you, and you are generating that rapport. And they relax, they feel more friendly and familiar with you, and then it it becomes a more you know a smooth meeting, mm. I and mean, a, a a much better interaction. Because um, depending on you know where is the person from in Cyprus, how old they are, what gender they are, they will have either a strong or a soft accent. They might start using idioms and phrases. And, you know, for them, especially if they're in a vulnerable position, let's say we are in a meeting which is taking place in a care home and we have an elderly Cypriot lady and she's being deprived of her liberties because she has amnesia or severe dementia. And so these are very, very vulnerable, sensitive situations. However, if the person feels that they can say what they want to say, the way they want to say it, because you will understand it, that helps them express themselves and say what is important to them. And Mm -hmm. for situations like that, when it is hugely critical that they open up and say, exactly what they want to say
0: Mm. god like i can't imagine how um important and incredible it must be for some for a vulnerable person like that to have someone like you and know that just suddenly within a moment to be able to go oh no i can trust them and she is going to advocate for me you know, what, what, a, what an incredible job that you have that will take you from an embassy one day to the law courts another day to a nursing home to, you know, talking to a couple about getting married in Greece. Is there, do you have a preference? Me so much. A kind. Is there a kind of client that's your, your favourite or is it the variety that, that keeps it fresh?
1: Certainly keeps it fresh. There is, however, a huge rewarding sort of feeling or a feeling of achievement in a way when you know you've walked out of a room or a home or an embassy and you just know that that you've helped and Mm. that you know that what needed to be done was done and then things are no longer in your hands you did what you could and you could see and sense that relief precisely on their faces and and usually we don't you know we don't get that much feedback but when you do get the feedback and you have either somebody singing your praises at an embassy which is you know crazy or mm a carer um, writing an email to you saying thank you so much for being there and being so professional and helping us through this because we've been waiting and waiting for this to happen and it's huge it's hugely important for this person in this vulnerable position to be able to access the benefits or to be able to move to a better safer environment it's hugely rewarding so i think the i would say my favorite ones are the ones that entail as much humanity as possible um, mm. the least commercial ones um, but um, even even with the very business meetings there is a huge human element to it as well because whatever we do we are we are humans at the end of the day it doesn't matter if you're a banker or if you're a solicitor or if you're a carer people go through so much throughout their working day and
0: it's just nice to know that you facilitated Mm, i love that the focus on humanity it's so it's so important and it's so it's like what you said right at the very beginning you know people's identities and how they um how they would describe themselves and how they conduct their liberty and all of that is so unique and for you to kind of hold the key to translating that to the outside world is just a really a very human and very exciting project to be part of, as, as part of your life's work, you know, I think that's wonderful. I, I think there
1: is a lot of connection between identity and translation, because in a way when you are translating, you are facilitating that understanding of the, of the, of the different identity that somebody else holds whether it's within a story or if it's a character in a book or if it's you know the way we say certain things in one language because language and identity are so intertwined. You cannot you know, remove language from somebody's identity. I think they go hand in hand, they go together. Mm, mm.
0: No, I think you're absolutely right. And, and I know that this is a provocative question for you because we've mentioned this before. Um, but if I was to ask you where you are from, how would you respond and tell me a bit about how you feel about that question?
1: I hate that question so much <laughs> um, <laughs> because I rarely know what it really means. Mm. And I don't know why the person is asking me the question or why they feel the need to ask me the question. I have been asked this question at the most bizarre of times once I was in a Boots trying to find a toothpaste and I walked to the sales assistant and said excuse me where would I find this and they said I'm sorry where are you from? <laughs> uh, how bizarre! So I, I, so I was like Okay, so depending
0: on where I am, they'll tell me or not, or why, what is this? Is there a special Greek Cypriot toothpaste that I should be aware of in some certain yeah. corner of the store? Where exactly. are you from? <laughs> exactly. So sometimes, and it also depends,
1: let's face it, on my mood, right? If I just don't want to be bothered, if 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 I just don't want to get into the story of my life, I will just say, why? Why are you asking me? Mm-hmm. But if I'm in a more friendly, cozy environment, and I'm enjoying the company, of the person asking me, and I'm not just rushing in the boots. Mm-hmm. I will sit down and happily say, you know, well, I was born in Cyprus, but um, I grew up in Greece and Cyprus, and then they get so confused. So then I get all these other follow-up questions like, so you're Greek Cypriot? No, 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 I am Greek and I am Cypriot. So what do you mean? Uh, I was born in Cyprus. But where did you grow up? I I grew up both in Greece and in Cyprus. So where are your parents from? (laughs) And it goes like this and it's endless. So if I, well, I was at Heathrow Airport in February and I was having breakfast and the waiter asked me, so where are you from? Sometimes they might, you know, they will know that it might be a bit of an insensitive question to ask a complete stranger that is also your client. So, you know, he was quite nice about it. So Mm -hmm. I actually said to him, I'm British. I didn't say anything else. I just said, I'm British. So he you know he was okay with it and then his mate came and asked me the same question and a lady from across the table said to me that i look too exotic to be british
0: <laughs> the word <laughs> it occurs to me sometimes when doing the podcast that people listening can't see my face but the word exotic is so offensive unless it's used in a very very small selection of circumstances like describing fruit i feel like you can't you can't describe a person as exotic and mean it in a nice way was this person over 70.
1: yes i Mm. tend to most of the time not take offense or at least not anymore because I'd be angry every day so I don't want to be angry (laughs) I always try to think the best in people and think that oh it's a compliment because I look a certain way so that's what they mean they mean it in a nice way however I think for me the identity perspective that comes with that word is the most interesting part because to me that 70-year-old lady is exotic because she has very fair skin, really blonde hair, and really blue eyes. So for me, mm. she's the exotic. I'm not the exotic. So it's all about where you are, where you're coming from, the way you perceive the world. And that really reminds me of how we, we label um, foreign language films right? Mm. Why is this um, French film a foreign language film or, you know, when they give the Oscar to the foreign language movie category, is it a foreign language movie category or is it a non-English language movie category? Mm. Why is foreign the non-English? Mm? Mm. I, like, I like that, uh, you know, labeling of especially when it comes to world cinema, right? Because if I'm Mm -hmm. in France and I'm French, a French film is not a foreign language film to me. A German Mm -hmm. film might be, or an English film might be. Mm -hmm. So it's very interesting. So, you know, this whole thing of where you're from. And I I try to, um, I think what I'm trying to do, which might be a little bit cheeky is I sometimes say what I want to say depending who I'm speaking with and I will try and put on a certain accent and and be a certain way but yes the question really frustrates me and and it comes the follow-up question is very often to do with accent but you have Mm. an accent so if I say I'm British then they'll say oh so but you have an accent so where is the accent from Hmm?" and then what I say is that you have an accent. because everyone has an accent Mm. just because it's not a british accent or a u.s accent that doesn't make that person have an accent because there is no such thing as non-accented english you Mm. speak um, english maybe from london with a london accent or the queen's english somebody else speaks English with a Newcastle accent, a Liverpool accent, a a Bromley accent, a Scottish Mm. accent, Irish, right? Yeah. There is no such thing as non-accented English. So this whole question of where is your accent or you have an accent, the statement is so useless because it's like saying you have, I don't know. It's
0: like like you've got brown hair, you've got black hair, you've got whatever, and it, you know, and it doesn't also take into consideration where that accent may have come from. You know, there's this strange default assumption that your accent is either a result of being in a place for a really long time, when we know that that's not always the case, because some people will move from a country and never lose their accent, you know, so that's not a given. And or that it's a combination of both of your parents accents, you know, just dropped into one human, which, of course, is insanity as well. You know, there's plenty of reasons that you would pick up an accent and it might just be that there's someone in your life that's had a big impact and you've picked up some of the way that they speak. You know, it's such a all of us are such a patchwork of our experiences and the people that we meet. Uh, And I think I think a lot of the way that we speak comes from that as well if I if I went to America
1: tomorrow and started socializing with my American friends you would start hearing my R ah, going all American and <laughs> finishing all my sentences in a very American way somebody will say to me oh no you you have an American accent it's so interesting that that if a Greek person hears me speak English they will say oh my god you have such an amazing English accent how do you have the accent <laughs> and then if somebody English or British hears me speaking English they'll say oh so where is your accent from you don't sound English right Mm. the same with Greece and Cyprus maybe not at this point but when I was younger making the move actually from Cyprus to Greece as a child was challenging because I had a strong Cypriot accent and Mm. I felt the need to lose it at school in Greece because I was being picked up and you know so yeah so in Greece, they would say, oh, but you, you, you sound Cyprian, you look Cyprian, you sound Cypriot." Then I would go to Cyprus and my family would say, oh, but now you don't speak in Cypriot anymore. So, ah. you know, in my mind, I am who I am. But then to the people around me, depending on where I am. I don't quite belong to that place. It's like when I'm in Mm. Cyprus, but you're not really from Cyprus. When I'm in Greece, but you're not really from Greece. When I'm in the UK, but you're not really from the UK. So it's so hard to pinpoint one singular place of origin and say, this is home. This is where I belong or this is where I'm from so I always have to say this story because I feel I would be so unfair to one of my parents or one of my countries if I said the one and not the other or not the Mm. third one
0: so yes you're you're the perfect unique center of a Venn diagram and does that do you um I love that <laughs> and and does that lovely kind of potion that makes up your identity? Does that mean that your concept of home is actually not really connected to a place? How would you define home?
1: Home. What is home? Um, <laughs> I think home is where you're happy. Um, mm. It's definitely not a place. Um, for someone like me. Home is and can be anywhere and everywhere. I need, I mean, particularly during this lockdown period, I've realized so much about what is truly important to me and what it is that I really need in my life. Mm. But having said that, also during this lockdown period, I've been thinking about Greece every single day and Mm. how I want to just be on a beach and mm-hmm. the sun eating watermelons. This ah. is what I want. <laughs> At this point, mm. Greece feels like, um, it's like a call, you know, I'm, I'm mm. receiving this call that I need to go back. It may be because I was due to have a couple of trips in Greece already during um, March Uh, through May and Mm. even though there were work trips I had plans you know I was gonna meet friends and family Mm. and that didn't happen so I think losing that control maybe is manifesting itself now into a need of being back but Mm. but yeah home home is really where I am happy and it's true I I actually know and I I I feel that I need sun to be happy I need sun. I know Mm. that after a holiday in Greece, I will feel um healthy mm. i look you know the skin glows you you i look rested I am much darker than I am right now imagine mm. um, <laughs> and I feel so calm and relaxed mm. is and it's the most um form of self-care I can give to myself mm. is just going to Greece, even if it's for a week or two weeks just switch everything off and just go mm. and be there and um, so I, I think every single one of my my countries my homes um, have different things to offer to me mm. that then form this idea of home that I can feel home in Cyprus as well because my grandparents are there my mum's family is there and she has a big family my cousins are there and we have a very good and close relationship um so it it offers something different right so home is mm. family for some people as well greece has this romanticized um idea perhaps of a home you know this this feeling of relaxation and just just being able to not think of much Mm. and then home is also here in London because that's where my life is to be honest you know that's where work is and friends and but again I have family here as well Mm. so
0: it's truly like you said a blend that's it and how you know how wonderful to be able to feel at home in all of those different places. You know, I can imagine going to Greece and spending some time island hopping and lying in the sun would make me feel pretty great too. But I don't have that feeling of landing home when I go to Greece and, you know, and how wonderful to have such a spectrum of places that you're able to access and have that sense of like exhaling, you know, when you get there it's it's honestly
1: it's um to have great gratitude for because yeah like you said i can land in cyprus and feel oh i i feel home i'm home i know the people i know how to Mm. talk to them i know what they mean and i can't wait to try this food again or go to granddad's village and and Mm so on and the same with with Greece and stuff the same here so every single place has a different sense of home that it offers
0: mm. and is that I, I suppose and, and this is me looking in so don't let me put words in your mouth but I I can imagine uh, feeling very free and very grounded and and confident and full of gumption knowing that you've got these places that kind of hold you whenever you go there, um, and communities that hold you wherever you go as well. If you, if you think of it, aside from the
1: emotional aspect, if you think of it um, in terms of a legal aspect, having three passports, essentially, three countries are responsible for you. <laughs> Happen to you you could seek asylum or um, help let's say I'm in I don't know let's say I'm in Germany and something happens to me I can go to the British embassy and say please help me I can go to the Greek one and say please help me I can go to the Cypriot one and say please help me Mm. Uh, of course they could all say well but you're also Greek and you're also Cypriot and you're also British so go to them or go to them (laughs) don't come to us right so this can happen as well but you know practically speaking there is that huge benefit as well Mm. but also of course you know um, finding community in all kinds of different spaces and quite you know literally with a sense of the word of community for example there is a Greek there is a Hellenic center in London There is also a Cyprus house and you know you could say, mm-hmm. "I am separate, I will go to your events. I want to meet people from this community. I want to see how I can network and connect with them. I can do the same one with a Hellenic center or I can mm-hmm. do a similar one if I am in Cyprus or um you know it but then again, it comes a lot with my kind of work because at the end of the day, I feel like a liaison. I feel like. The person that can bring these different people together.
0: Mm. You're 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 the golden thread that connects them all. And that's what a lovely way to end. What a lovely thing to end on. It's been so fascinating talking to you about this. I think I I hadn't appreciated the scope of your work and and how much heart there is in it you know, and I can totally see what attracted you to it. And, and also why you've been so successful in it, of course, because you are warm and welcoming and a, and a great networker. And I mean, clearly meeting you through the circle, it means that, you know, that, that automatically means that you've got a certain personality type to get involved in that kind of work. Um, so it's been a real pleasure. Thank you
1: you for having me and well and again for your podcast I think identity is a huge conversation topic mm-hmm. that we must have and explore further because we are just no longer people from one place um, identity is hugely complex these days and it doesn't always have to do with where you were born or to what parents yes. it's it's fascinating
0: what a way to end the first season of Is This Seat Taken? I'm so grateful to Vasiliki for taking the time to sit and talk to me. I find her insights on identity and living as both a Greek and a Cypriot in the UK, um, really, really fascinating. Speaking to her really reminded me of how much joy there is to be found in language. So. It's been a really wonderful way to end this series. If you would like to get hold of Vasiliki, I will leave her details in the show notes. Her business is Greek To Me Translations, so you can find her online and on Instagram. I have been Amy Meadows. It's been such a pleasure to create this podcast, um, and I'm already looking forward to creating series two. Thank you to everyone that's supported it so far. If you haven't already, um, I'd be so grateful if you could leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It makes a really big difference and makes sure that the podcast gets out to as many people as possible. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you on the next one.